Join me, Dr. Cathy Weston, for my podcast series, Get a Grip, brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. In each podcast, I help unpick some of the trickier questions relating to how we raise children today. How do we talk to children about mental health? How can we make sure our children engage safely with the digital world? Whose responsibility is the mental health education of our children, teachers or parents? These podcasts get me talking and you thinking. I've reached out to today's thought leaders and main researchers in this area and asked them their views on the areas where we need to get a grip. Ella Podmore, MBE, is an award-winning materials engineer who is highly motivated and driven to make an impact on the automotive industry. Having paved a way as a keen engineering intern in the third year of her degree, Ella went on to solve a key industrial automotive problem upon the completion of her MEng thesis. Now a key member of a high-performance supercar brand, she is leading metallic material science research and development on all McLaren automotive products. Aside from her technical role, Ella has considerable experience with the media and public speaking, whilst being a strong advocate for women in science, technology, engineering and mathematics. In 2020, Ella became the IET Young Woman Engineer of the Year, while in 2022 she was awarded an MBE in the Queen's Jubilee Honours for her work encouraging more girls to pursue STEM careers. Welcome, Ella Podmore. Ella, we've been waiting to interview you for so long at Tooled Up Education, so I'm really, really grateful for your time today. Oh, thank you, Cathy. It's an absolute honour to be here. And to those of you, the few out there who've never heard of you, well, you are one of our most amazing, the country's young engineers who works at McLaren. So tell us what your job title is there and what accolades you've received in the last few years. Yes. Okay. So I work for the luxury supercar brand McLaren Automotive. Now, this was a company that was founded years ago from McLaren Racing. So those of you who are familiar with the Formula One team, we became a a sister company about probably 10 years ago. And the idea is, is that we're translating this F1 technology to the likes of supercars that you guys can see on the roads. And my job there, I'm a, a senior materials engineer, which basically means I'm responsible for all material related investigations in the business. And recently, this has kind of become more metallics focused because that's my speciality. Prior to that, it was all plastics. It could have been a bit of composite carbon fiber material as well. But my speciality is with metallics. So we can talk about surface treatments, crash structures, body panels, engine blocks, things like that. That's the kind of thing that I would be responsible for investigating new materials, but then also looking at maybe customer customizations. They like to sort of have some funky colors and finishes and bespoke exotic metals on their cars as well. So I've been doing that for four and a half, five years now, and have been really fortunate in the last couple of years to have been recognized for a lot of that work. I volunteer back to students, schools, love to sort of spread the love and the passion for science, technology, engineering, and maths, and have been lucky to receive Young Women Engineer of the Year from the IET 2020. 
and then more recently got an MBE. So very, very happy and humbled by that. <laughs> so Ella, did you actually meet the Queen before she sadly passed? No, I didn't. But you know, it's almost a little more special because it was the last one she signed off for her Jubilee honours. And it means that I get to meet her son, King Charles. So it's kind of a, a unique situation where I was given by one monarch and then going to be receiving it from another. So I'm just holding on to that, but I would have loved to have met her. <laughs> well, Ella, as you know, we work in education and parenting. Those are our sort of foci within Tooled Up Education. So I'm very, very interested to hear about your parents must be so proud of you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So it must be, you know, wonderful. And I have done a little bit of research on your background. I'm terribly interested, as I'm sure everyone listening are as well, about what it was like for you when you were 15, when you were doing your GCSEs, as so many children are now, they're doing their GCSE science mocks. What was that like for you? What were you going through at that time? Yeah, I mean, it's not easy, is it? And you guys know more than anyone the the pressure put on students when you're going and making those decisions and sitting those important exams. I was lucky when I was younger that I understood from a young age what an engineer did. Now, both my parents didn't go to university. My dad was a tinkerer. He liked to take things apart. And I think he kind of instilled quite a logical mentality in mine and my, and my brother's minds we were always inquisitive. And he sort of said, look, an engineer figures out this mechanism and engineer would sort of fix problems, contribute to industry. And I was like, I definitely want to do that. Love fixing problems. And that kind of came to light in school where I loved science. So maths, applying maths was great, but science for me, especially chemistry was my absolute passion. And then I got to, when I was sitting those exams and when you get the GCSEs under your belt, you have a little bit of breathing time to explore EPQ topics or final year projects, maybe do a little bit of work experience or shadowing and things like that. And it was in those months that I sort of started to understand if I wanted to have more of a chemistry base, but wanted to fix problems, contribute to industry and do something exciting like an engineer does, where would that put me? And it led me down materials engineering and chemical engineering. Those were the two things that were highlighted to me. And after exploring them both, I realized that materials engineering was going to change the world. <laughs> so I'm with that. So, so in a sort of a sense, you had an idea of what the overall end goal was of what an engineer could do. And you lived within a family environment where that was not seen as anything that was, it was completely achievable. Mm -hmm. It was part and parcel of your everyday life to think about how things worked so that sort of family culture was there absolutely I think that's a really important point that you've touched upon as well even though no one was really a qualified engineer in my family it was a thing considered that I could easily get you know it's like of course you could be an engineer yeah and engineers do everything they fix things and it wasn't I didn't really see or hear about the society stereotypes that we tend to have around engineers until I was sort of maybe chatting with other classmates or other friends or family saying, well, you don't want to be in a boiler suit for the rest of your life, do you? Sort of thing. And it was only then, but my parents made me feel like that was completely achievable. And now, of course, we know that engineers do anything. Anyone could be an engineer. So they were absolutely right. I think one of the things that you've done, I remember the way in which I came across you is you did an online presentation to my son's school yeah. and he was buzzing after <laughs> that because it was the first time, apart from watching Top Gear, that he'd seen anyone who actually 
did that job of working on those cars. Mm-hmm. So there is a an opportunity, I think, to make sure that everyone is aware that we are exposing our children to role models, but not even role models, just people out there working in real environments so that they can connect the dots between what they're studying and a potential job. Yeah. As you, you've made me understand, listening to other interviews, how broad engineering is. There's a place for everyone within it. Yes, and that's so lovely to hear, you know, to hear that your son was able to sort of say, actually, this maths does work or like this, <laughs> these physics class actually can get me to something quite exciting because when I was a young girl, if someone came to speak to me about McLaren or something so awesome, glamorous, something you see on TV, but also a path in science could get me there. That would have blown my mind. And so that's why I'm so keen to get out to your son's schools, get out to colleges, even universities as well, because we want to change the way people look at science. We want to change the narrative and inspire people to get into it because this is how we're going to change the world. This is how we're going to make a difference. And it's something that's really, really important to me. So Ella, questions from young people that I've gathered up, if you don't mind. Yes. There was a question about diversity in environments and industries like yours. This is from a young girl at age 15 who wanted to know if there are engineers that represent her ethnic background is it predominantly white? That was the question that she asked about engineering. And she wanted to know if there were any particularly famous engineers from a black Afro-Caribbean background so she could actually follow their pathway and be inspired by them. Really, really important, good question. And I would say generally in the STEM space, we are improving our diversity in the workforce. So I'm definitely seeing an improvement when it comes to materials engineers, mechanical engineers, chemical engineers. Um, Even at university, you can see I went to Manchester and the diversity of ethnic minorities was really, really good. Diversity of women to males in those courses were really, really good as well. However, I will say that I think the automotive industry and maybe in particular the supercar industry, which is quite niche, still has a long way to go in both ethnic minorities, but then also in gender diversity as well. However, this is nothing to be put off by because if anything, it gives you room to go and make a huge difference. And I'll be kidding myself to say that I haven't been the only woman in the room, you know, for the last five years where I've been working. But what this has proved to me is that I have so much scope to do more. So whilst I'm here pushing for the STEM programs, making sure that we go to all these different schools, especially girls' schools that I'm trying to prioritise, young in primary school level as well, there's space for it. And if you are to go down the automotive industry route, or if you're to go down supercars, don't let the spotlight element of it put you off. If anything, it opens up opportunities. And being the only woman in the room here for a long time has allowed me to travel the world, public speak, go to tech conferences, speak to large bodies of people and and change their minds and inspire and stuff like that. So yes, in your lifetime, I think you will probably experience environments where you are the only woman in the room, you're the only one of your ethnic class potentially, but let it inspire you. And the last thing I would say that I can't remember what background she is. I think she's probably African-American, but we have a extreme E race mechanic 
for McLaren Automotive. For those of you who don't know, Extreme E is a fantastic sport where they're, they're doing like four by four electric car racing. They have a female driver, a male driver, and the whole premise is to leave the area that they're racing in in a better condition than when they got there. So it's a big sustainability push. And the lead race engineer for Extreme McLaren Extreme E is called Leanne. She's fantastic. Look her up. She's an absolute inspiration and she is so good at what she does. So we will. Uh, yeah. we will. Her name is Leanne. Leanne. I can't remember her surname. Okay. We'll look her up. McLaren Extreme E, Leanne, race mechanic. We'll get you there. Wow. Sounds cool. Sounds cool. Okay. Second question. We read that you, this is from a child in year seven who read that or heard that you were a little bit dyslexic in one of your interviews. Is that true? And do you have any advice for someone in year seven who's dyslexic who might want to follow in your footsteps? Absolutely. So I really struggle with spelling, sometimes reading complex words. If I'm having to read something out, that's definitely something that has affected me. But there is so much now, so much resource and for you to have that open communication with examining bodies, teachers. And it, first of all, to have that awareness when you're age seven is fantastic. You'll find quite a few engineers or scientists are dyslexic. I would say I work with so many colleagues. We all have a laugh about it because it hasn't hindered us at all, but it makes us think differently. And it's something that you should 100% embrace. It makes you unique. It makes you quite a logical thinker, I have found. But always make sure if you are struggling in exams, you know, make your teacher aware. There is extra time, of course. There are other things that they can introduce depending on your level of severity. But it hasn't held me back at all. If anything, it's made me quite savvy with numbers and a logical thought process gorgeous right brilliant another question about degree apprenticeships do mclaren offer an option where you might go to university but also work there what are the sort of work experience or degree apprenticeship opportunities that you're aware of good question so apprenticeships are gaining in popularity absolutely everywhere they're a fantastic choice to consider if you don't want the the debt from university or if you're just a practical learner Apprenticeships learn quite quickly on the job, and that suits some people. McLaren Automotive don't currently have any external apprenticeships out there. We are quite a small company and compared to the other big car companies that do offer them. You know, when we talk about Jaguar Land Rover, BMW offer some fantastic apprenticeship schemes. But McLaren Racing, so if you're into motorsport or Formula One, they do offer apprenticeship schemes to get into the likes of their race mechanics or maybe more practical jobs such as technicians, pit stop members and stuff like that. So McLaren Racing, yes, but there are plenty of automotive opportunities out there if apprenticeships what you're considering. Now, in terms of university, you went to Manchester, I think. And what was the degree that you did? So I studied a master's of materials science and engineering. So I got an MEng for those that know. And yeah, it took me four years. And did you think it's a good idea to specialize in terms of your thesis or projects that you do along the way on the particular things that are appealing to the companies that you might actually apply for? Absolutely. So projects, final year projects, dissertations, these are all opportunities that you could use to make yourself appeal to maybe companies that you admire. If you really want to work for a particular company, it might be worth getting in touch with someone saying, look, what are you really looking for in terms of research? What kind of things or 
problems or questions would you like answering but you haven't been able to invest in R&D yourself this is exactly what I did for McLaren they didn't give me any funding or anything but what it was is that it was a particular problem that they didn't have the resource or time to dedicate to I worked on it in university and of course university schools as well have access to resources that companies don't have and from coming up with a few solutions on this particular project, I then graduated and became a really desirable candidate to get into the automotive industry, regardless of whether it's McLaren or other automotive companies, you know, they all sort of battle with the same problems. So it's always worth, first of all, finding something that you're passionate about, but then also finding something that's relatable. You don't just want to work on a question that a university has given you, work on something that's gonna mean something and make a difference. Yeah, I love that idea of actually going to companies and saying, can I help with anything? Can I bring that? Who's going to say no to that? Exactly. Question about GCSE and A-level revision techniques. Presumably you did very well at GCSE and A-level in sciences. Do you have any revision techniques? What is it that you learned about studying and revising that you'd like to pass on? Yeah, good question. Everyone's different. And I think even though this is so difficult to say because some of you are so young when you're when you're starting to study but it's important to understand how you learn and I think me I had to write out lots of notes and once I put it into my own words then I go over my own words was quite useful to me however I would also say that sometimes the way that textbooks or teachers, everyone learns differently, right? So if you're receiving content from a textbook and you don't really understand quite how they're phrasing it or what the model represents, we have incredible resources right now. So YouTube, get on YouTube, see if you can find a different way of how people approach describing that model or theory. And especially in sciences as well, if people are describing it in particular ways, there are always different models out there or different ways and processes to understand the same thing so if you don't understand it first first up you can of course ask a a classmate but get on youtube youtube is a fantastic tool it's something that we will use probably for the rest of our lives as engineers you've constantly got to keep learning and keep open to new thought processes so find the way that you learn and make sure you utilize that to your best ability but then also if you don't understand straight away ask someone Think of different ways that you can explore that process, whether it be on YouTube or Coursera and things like that. Okay. Do you need the three sciences to be an engineer or is it okay to not do biology? Is it a good idea to stick to physics and chemistry to do the kind of, you know, following your footsteps? Yeah, you don't you don't have to do three sciences at all. I studied physics and chemistry and then maths was there as well biology was not my thing (laughs) so don't worry about that at all the criteria for me to get onto my particular degree course was that I had to do a maths and a science so regardless of whether that science was biology or whether it was physics or whether it's chemistry the beauty of materials engineering is that it explores all three so I took a chemistry side of the course effectively nanotechnology surface treatments corrosion things like that but the, that particular subject is so broad. I mean, people did biology and, and maths and they went down biotissue engineering or started 3D printing organs and then other people prioritized physics. So with material science, you just need a science and a maths. Two sciences will probably be desirable if you're looking to go mechanical engineering. But do not worry if you only like one science and you only can do maths and you want to do history or art or jazz it up with some other subjects. Do not worry, because sometimes that can make you more interesting. 
And presumably you need very, very good digital skills. You must be working with on a computer all day. Yeah, I mean, engineers do now. And I would say my particular job, I'm fortunate that 40% of my job is very practical. So I'm still in the lab. I'm working on experiments. I'm conducting uh, practical work. And then this other 60% would be me typing up reports or conducting in meetings with engineering departments based on what my findings are. But nowadays, most engineers are on computers. So this is probably music to some people's ears because, of course, like the younger generation of our day are so clued up on this. But CAD, computer-aided design, SolidWorks, or maybe programs that you guys are familiar with working in schools and what students use today. And these are the basis of what engineers do now. They simulate, they much more prefer to work on on a simulation and get the facts and figures and data right before they start spending the money on big practical experience now. So design, CAD, mechanical engineers, automotive engineers, they're all very, very computer-based, yeah. So more questions from students. Do you ever doubt yourself? And if you do, how do you cope with that, what we call gremlin thinking or, you know, imposter syndrome? Yes. I can't, I don't know if I'm any good at this or, you know, how do you, have you ever experienced that even growing up and how did you manage it or how do you manage it? Oh gosh, I think everyone does. Also, I love gremlin thinking. I think I'm going to use that now. (laughs) But yes, gremlin thinking. Gremlin. Imposter syndrome. Gosh, of course, of course I have. You know, even coming to interview at McLaren when I was 19 years old and I get here, silly office. I mean, it's completely silly and over the top and ridiculous James Bond vibes. But as soon as I walked in this building, I was like, goodness, I shouldn't be here. What's going on? And then you start to plant that seed of doubt. But I think the biggest imposter gremlin thinking experience that I had was after winning that Young Women Engineer of the Year award. So I work for McLaren. We produce really exciting cars, but effectively, I'm not doing anything life-changing here. And I was up against other women who were creating synthetic blood or manufacturing devices that are improving lives of people. And I just thought, gosh, you know, these ladies are so talented. I'm so in awe to just even be considered about this. And after I won it, I thought, I shouldn't have won that. What's going on? (laughs) You really, really do doubt yourself. And sometimes it takes things along the way to regain that confidence. And Kathy, even you messaging me after going to speak to your son, or I have people reach out on LinkedIn and say, look, you've made an impact here. And then suddenly I started to realize, actually, I think I am exactly where I should be. <laughs> I'm doing yeah, I'm making right. a difference. And that's what made me continue on and think, Christ, I've got a platform now, I've got to use it. So Yes, 100% have had those thoughts and feelings. Again, everyone's different. But for me, what I wanted was some sort of validation, I guess, or a checking in being like, okay, am I doing okay? Yeah, no, everything's fine. <laughs> but it's not something that's ever going to go away and you tick the box and say, yeah, I've completed it. It's just you understanding where your confidence comes from, how you can regain confidence, how you can pick yourself back up after little knocks and stuff like that. And you've mentioned experiments. Presumably you require a great deal of sort of emotional resilience as a scientist, because sometimes those experiments you've worked on for three months don't work. And, you know, you're back to the drawing board potentially quite regularly. Absolutely. And if I can say anything to students who are coming up through the system now, it would be that failure is not a bad thing. When I was young, going through school, I was so conditioned to think, 
God, you've got to get good grades. You can't have a, a, a bad week. You know, I've got to get to the right university. I've got to make sure that I can be the best version I can be. And you can and you will. But failure, now that I'm in a fast-paced, high-performing, high-pressured environment, failure is actually something that they embrace. And it took a, a while for me to start to become accustomed to that way of thinking. But we fail fast and learn quicker. That's what they constantly say to me. And you're absolutely right, Kathy. You know, being a scientist, things probably 90% of the time don't work, but you've got to learn from it. It's not you failing. It's nothing personal. It's you picking it up and saying, right, okay, emergency meeting, what can we do? Right, so this is what happened. How do you orchestrate that afterwards? And that's what makes you a really, really desirable candidate. And yeah, fail fast, learn quicker. That's definitely something I've learned. And I wish I knew when I was younger. <laughs> what about work-life balance? You know, you work in a very high pressurized environment and, you know, you, you know you've got obviously a very, very difficult workload, but how do you sort of switch off how do you manage to do that are you are you constantly thinking about work outside of work or mm, it's a good question I would say the work-life balance here is actually really really good and when you have a manufacturing background it's kind of a bit different to the likes of tech startups and and new younger companies that tend to have quite a reputation for working really, really long hours. When you're in, in manufacturing, it's kind of quite shift orientated. So a typical day for me would be start at 8am and end at 6pm. And that may seem a little longer than school, but actually when you compare the likes of maybe lawyers or other sort of high pressured environments, it is really, really quite good. And I never really stray any further out than that. But work-life balance is hugely important. And I always do make sure that I have some sort of release and throughout university where those working hours definitely stray and they get really, really long when you're doing shifts in the library and stuff, I had to always make sure that I had my release. And for me, that was sport. It was exercise, something to clear my head. And every day that I'm in the office, like I am today, I would always make sure that I have something at lunchtime or I have something after work or before work. And it would just de-stress it would decompress and that's that's how I do it and I know I have colleagues who go and play a team sport or they are part of a choir and things like that so it's really important when we talk about extracurricular activities hobbies keep them up because not only are they building soft skills but they're your stress reliever okay three last questions from students what is your car which car do you drive <laughs> oh no <laughs> goodness me so I, I live in London so I need a little tiny little runabout car <laughs> and I've got a Citroen C1 but he is so <laughs> lovely and he gets me from A to B and to be honest with you when I can take supercars home for the weekend and I could take granny out for lunch in a McLaren I don't really need a fancy personal car to be honest with you <laughs> so he does the job <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. This is a, I don't know who submitted this question. Who's your favorite Top Gear presenter? Oh, that's so difficult. <laughs> oh, that's so difficult. So I grew up in, in the era where um, it was Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond, James May, and they, to me, were the iconic trio. I've got to say, stay to my roots and when I used to watch it as a little girl on TV, they were the ones who introduced me to McLaren P1. That's when I first saw the car, saw it, bought a poster of it, put it on my bedroom wall, and I was like, brilliant, that's that's the car I want to own one day. And it's due to that poster, so effectively due to them, that I looked up and I was like, actually, maybe I could work for that company. So 
Thank you. Cool, cool. Thank you, Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> um, another question from a teacher. Which campaigns that encourage girls into STEM would you recommend? She's aware of inspiring girls, INT. Yeah. And this little girl is me, both sort of Instagram or social media campaigns. Are there any more that you're aware of? Yes, firstly, love that you, you're aware of both those are really, really good campaigns. The other ones I would recommend STEMETS, which is countrywide do things specifically with girls in STEM run by Dr. Anne-Marie Amaphidon who's on TV and she's an absolute hero as well. STEMX, Girls Who Code, Dare to Be Different I think is a motorsport specific girls campaign but I think it's called something else now but start with those three and yeah they're really really great but you're you're absolutely right I think for these particular campaigns and to get kids inspired, you need to look through social media. So I'm glad you're going to the likes of Instagram, Twitter and stuff like that. Brilliant. A question about coding. How important is coding in engineering? And should this particular student has asked about Python, which I'm not familiar with, mm -hmm. but does that matter? And should they be honing those coding skills? First of all, all of you students are going to be better at coding than I am. <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't something that was on my radar. And I think now schools are sort of making it almost a science itself. It's not essential, but I didn't do any particular coding and I thought it would be useful. So I did a Coursera free course on Python. So I know a little bit about it, but coding is everywhere now. And I think if you do have a basis or fundamental understanding of what it is, you don't have to necessarily look through all the MATLABs and the Pythons and all the different types of coding. But if you know how to structure a command and you know how to get an output, it's definitely going to hold you in great stead. Even the mechanical engineers of our era who tend to be the more traditional types of engineers are having to look to coding when cars are driven by software nowadays. So it's definitely a good place to start. But if you don't enjoy it, don't worry. Two last questions. Do you have psychologists who work at McLaren? So this is from a young psychology student who's interested in sports psychology. Yeah, okay. So that's an interesting section of McLaren, I guess, with the McLaren F1, more than the automotive side of things, they have lots of different like physiotherapists, psychologists who work with the drivers, because of course, they're athletes, right? So they need to be in the right frame of mind to be running at constant high level performance. And I'm sure they absolutely do. We have a, a fitness suite and everything down here. So there's always areas if you are into psychology, and you do like F1, for instance, there's always going to be a sector where that overlaps. So definitely look into it. I don't know them by name. I don't know whether we have them on site all the time, but I would definitely assume the drivers work with them. Thank you. Last question. Can people visit your technology center? Can they actually visit it, your office? So it's such a beautiful office <laughs> and I wish it was open to the public, but there are some STEM schemes that we, we tour students around here. Very, very rarely do we have open days and you've got to consider the fact that, yes, the automotive division is here, but the Formula One division is here as well, which means they have highly confidential designs and things that are on display. But hey, if it's your ambition and you're an inspiring students to get into STEM, why not get in contact? You've got nothing to lose and you could potentially use it to your advantage if you want to work here one day. 
Okay, well, Ella, thank you so much for your amazing contribution today. And I know I'm looking at your office now in the background, so I've got a sneak preview <laughs> of how brilliant it is. Thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. And we follow your career on LinkedIn and social media with great pleasure. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been really awesome, Kathy. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. This Get a Grip podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.